Chapter Seventeen of The White Feather. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain and is read by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The White Feather by P. G. Wodehouse. Chapter Seventeen. Seymour's One Success. This polite epistle, it may be mentioned, was a revised version of the one which Drummond originally wrote in reply to Sheen's request. His first impulse had been to answer in the four brief words, "'Don't be a fool!' for Sheen's letter had struck him as nothing more than a contemptible piece of posing, and he had all the hatred for poses which is a characteristic of the plain and straightforward type of mind. It seemed to him that Sheen, as he expressed it to himself, was trying to do the boy hero. In the school library, which had been stocked during the Dark Ages, when that type of story was popular, there were numerous school stories in which the hero retrieved a rocky reputation by thrashing the bully, displaying in the encounter an intuitive but overwhelming skill with his fists. Drummond could not help feeling that Sheen must have been reading one of those stories. It was all very fine and noble of him to want to show that he was no coward after all, like Leo Chamondelet, or whatever his beastly name was, in the lads of St. Ethelberta's, or some such piffling book. But, thought Drummond in his cold practical way, what about the house? If Sheen thought that Seymour's was going to chuck away all chance of winning one of the inter-house events, simply in order to give him an opportunity of doing the young hero, the sooner he got rid of that sort of idea, the better. If he wanted to do the Leo Chamondelet business, let him go and chuck a kid into the river, and jump in and save him. But he wasn't going to have the house let in for twenty sheens. Such were the meditations of Drummond, when the infirmary attendant brought Sheen's letter to him, and he seized pencil and paper and wrote, "'Don't be a fool!' But pity succeeded contempt, and he tore up the writing. After all, however much he had deserved it, the man had had a bad time. It was no use jumping on him, and at one time they had been pals. Might as well do the thing politely. All of which reflections would have been prevented had Sheen thought of mentioning the simple fact that it was Joe Bevan who had given him the lessons to which he referred in his letter. But he had decided not to do so, wishing to avoid long explanations, and there was, he felt, a chance that the letter might come into other hands than those of Drummond. So he had preserved silence on that point, thereby wrecking his entire scheme. It struck him that he might go to Linton, explain his position, and ask him to withdraw in his favour. But there were difficulties in the way of that course. There was a great deal of red tape about the athletic arrangements of a house at a public school. When once an order has gone forth, it is difficult to get it repealed. Linton had been chosen to represent the house and the light weights, and he would carry out orders. Only illness would prevent him appearing in the ring. Sheen made up his mind not to try to take his place, and went through the days a victim to gloom, which was caused by other things besides his disappointment respecting the boxing competition. The Gotford examination was over now, and he was not satisfied with his performance. Though he did not know it, his dissatisfaction was due principally to the fact that, owing to his isolation, he had been unable to compare notes after the examinations with the others. Doing an examination without comparing notes subsequently with one's rivals 
is like playing golf against a bogey. The imaginary rival against whom one pits oneself never makes a mistake. Our own howlers stand out in all their horrid nakedness, but we do not realize that our rivals have probably made others far worse. In this way Sheen plumbed the depths of depression. The Gotford was a purely classical examination, with the exception of one paper, a general knowledge paper, and it was in this that Sheen fancied he had failed so miserably. His Greek and Latin verse were always good. His prose, he felt, was not altogether beyond the pale, but in the general knowledge paper he had come down heavily. As a matter of fact, if he had only known, the paper was an exceptionally hard one, and there was not a single candidate for the scholarship who felt satisfied with his treatment of it. It was to questions ten, eleven, and thirteen of this paper that Cardew, of the schoolhouse, who had entered for the scholarship for the sole reason that competitors got excuse two clear days of ordinary schoolwork, wrote the following answer. See Encyclopedia Britannica, Times Edition. If they really wanted to know, he said subsequently, that was the authority to go to. He himself would probably misinform them altogether. In addition to the Gotford and the House Boxing, the House Fives now came on, and the authorities of Seymour's were in no small perplexity. They met together in Rigby's study to discuss the matter. Their difficulty was this. There was only one inmate of Seymour's who had a chance of carrying off the House Fives Cup, and that was Sheen. The house was asking itself what was to be done about it. "'You see,' said Rigby, "'you can look at it in two ways, whichever you like. We ought certainly to send in our best man for the pot, whatever sort of chap he is. But then, come to think of it, Sheen can't very well be said to belong to the house at all. When a man's been cut dead during the whole term, he can't be looked on as one of the house very well.' See what I mean? Of course he can't, said Mill, who was second in command at Seymour's. Mill's attitude toward his fellow men was one of incessant hostility. He seemed to bear a grudge against the entire race. Rigby resumed. He was a pacific person, and hated anything resembling rows in the house. He had been sorry for Sheen, and would have been glad to give him a chance of setting himself on his legs again. You see— he said, "'This is what I mean. We either recognize Sheen's existence, or we don't. Follow? We can't get him to win this cup for us, and then, when he has done it, go on cutting him and treating him as if he didn't belong to the house at all. I know he let the house down awfully badly in that business, but still, if he lifts the five-cup, that'll square the thing. If he does anything to give the house a leg up, he must be treated as if he'd never let it down at all. "'Of course,' said Barry. "'I vote we send him in for the fives.' "'What rot!' said Mill. "'It isn't as if none of the rest of us played fives.' "'We aren't as good as Sheen,' said Barry. "'I don't care. I call it rot, letting a chap like him represent the house at anything. If he were the best fives player in the world, I wouldn't let him play for the house.' Rigby was impressed by his vehemence. He hesitated. "'After all, Barry,' he said, "'I don't know. Perhaps it might. You see, he did—well, I really think we'd better have somebody else. 
The house has got its knife into Sheen too much just at present to want him as a representative. There'd only be sickness, don't you think? Who else is there? So it came about that Menzies was chosen to uphold the house in the fives courts. Sheen was not surprised. But it was not pleasant. He was certainly having bad luck in his attempts to do something for the house. Perhaps if he won the Gotford they might show a little enthusiasm. The Gotford always caused a good deal of interest in the school. It was the best thing of its kind in existence at Riken, and even the most abandoned loafers liked to feel that their house had won it. It was just possible, thought Sheen, that a brilliant win might change the feelings of Seymour's towards him. He did not care for the applause of the multitude more than a boy should, but he preferred it very decidedly to the cut direct. Things went badly for Seymour's. Never in the history of the house, or at any rate, in the comparatively recent history of the house, had there been such a slump in athletic trophies. To begin with, they were soundly beaten in the semi-final for the house football cup by Allardyce's lot. With Drummond away, there was none to mark the captain of the school team at half, and Allardyce had raced through in a manner that must have compensated him to a certain extent for the poor time he had had in first fifteen matches. The game had ended in a Seymourite defeat by nineteen points to five. Nor had the boxing left the house in a better position. Linton fought pluckily in the lightweights, but went down before Stanning, after beating a representative of Templar's. Mill did not show up well in the heavyweights, and was defeated in his first bout. Seymour's were reduced to telling themselves how different it all would have been if Drummond had been there. Sheen watched the lightweight contests, and nearly danced with irritation. He felt that he could have eaten Stanning. The man was quick with his left, but he couldn't box. He hadn't a notion of sidestepping, and the uppercut appeared to be entirely outside his range. He would like to see him tackle Francis. Sheen thought bitterly of Drummond. Why on earth couldn't he have given him a chance? It was maddening. The fives carried on the story. Menzies was swamped by a dazed man. He might just as well have stayed away altogether. The star of Seymour's was very low on the horizon. And then the house scored its one success. The headmaster announced it in the hall, after prayers, in his dry, unemotional way. "'I have received the list of marks,' he said, "'from the examiners for the Gotford Scholarship.' He paused. Sheen felt a sudden calm triumph flood over him. Somehow, intuitively, he knew that he had won. He waited without excitement for the next words. "'Out of a possible thousand marks,' Sheen, who wins the scholarship, obtained seven hundred and one, Stanning six hundred and four, Wilson. Sheen walked out of the hall in the unique position of a Gotford winner with only one friend to congratulate him. Jack Bruce was the one. The other six hundred and thirty-three members of the school made no demonstration. There was a pleasant custom at Seymour's of applauding at tea any Seymourite who had won distinction, and so shed a reflected glory on the house. The head of the house would observe, "'Well played, so-and-so,' and, -so, and the rest of the house would express their emotion in the way that seemed best to them, to the subsequent exultation of the local crockery merchant, 
who had generally to supply at least a dozen fresh cups and plates to the house after one of these occasions. When it was for getting his first eleven or first fifteen cap that the lucky man was being cheered, the total of breakages sometimes ran into the twenties. Rigby, good, easy man, was a little doubtful as to what course to pursue in the circumstances. Should he give the signal? After all, the fellow had won the Gotford. It was a score for the house, and they wanted all the scores they could get in these lean years. Perhaps then he had better. "'Well played, Sheen,' said he. There was a dead silence. A giggle from the fag's table showed that the comedy of the situation was not lost on the young mind. The head of the house looked troubled. This was awfully awkward. "'Well played, Sheen,' he said again. "'Don't mention it, Rigby,' said the winner of the Gotford politely, looking up from his plate. End of chapter 17